The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, church. I am really excited about this season and what God's Spirit is doing among us. You're going to hear more about some things that are coming up uh, in the next few weeks about ways you can involve. But let me share a few things. Uh, A couple have already been said. In February is our missions month, which Monty talked about earlier in the leader moment. The missions month is for us to focus our time and attention and even our resources to talking about the missionaries we support around the world. And also, uh, it's leading up to the final Sunday in the month of February, where we will be giving our offerings and making our pledges and throughout, that will last throughout the whole year, and this is to support the work of the missionaries that we support around the world. So we don't do these offerings often, but next month is our chance. And the missions committee has also, uh, they're going to present a vision about a new work that we're considering. And so you're going to hear more about in the next month through our worship and our preaching, and you're going to hear about the missionaries, and we want you to begin praying and thinking about the ways you can continue to participate in God's mission around the world. Another thing that's really exciting, I had the privilege of going to Winterfest last Sunday. Aren't we glad the youth is back? Parents, don't clap too loud. The parents are like, oh, it was a great break, thank God. Man, it was a time of worship. It was a time of laughter. It was a time of late nights. It was a time of sharing. It was a time of spiritual growth. And yes, it was a time to make a stop at Bucky's in Fort Worth. And apparently, during our time... This happened. (laughs) Who is that? What do you mean that's not very good? The internet is forever, yes. And whoever uh, took that video was very sneaky to do it from behind. I don't know who that was, but the Holy Spirit must have got inside him. And, but during, we had a great, great time at Winterfest. And one of the things that we were challenged at Winterfest, uh, one of the main speakers actually was, uh, he was an author and wrote screenplays for movies. And he's an author of comic books. He's the author of DC, of several stories in DC and Marvel, and he pitches movie stories, or or kind of uh, movie pitches, and writes screenplays for stories. And one of the things that he talked about is that everyone has a story to tell. Whether you know it or not, everyone has a story. So, one night, after we went through, actually it was Friday night, we talked about uh, at Winterfest, everybody has a story. I was in the room uh, 
uh, that I was chaperoning, and uh, Carson Henley was in my room. And I was going around and asking different questions about uh, what they learned that night. And I looked at Carson, and I said, Carson, do you have a story? And Carson went, well, I know the right answer is yes, I do have a story. But to tell you the truth, I don't want to tell you that because then I'm afraid you're going to make me tell it. <laughs> and I have no clue what it is. I said, no, Carson, you don't have to tell that story. And I don't blame Carson. But in our text this morning, the beginning of this text that was read, this is a story about Stephen. And Stephen has a story to tell. But this is not just Stephen's personal story. This is Stephen's communal story. This is, this is a personal story to Stephen, but it's not just his story. This is God's story. This is Israel's story. And this story defines, in many ways, who Stephen is. As we read in the text, it says that Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit, and he was given wisdom by the Holy Spirit. But accusations came against Stephen. And some from the Sanhedrin or some of the teachers of the law began to, to say, he is blasphemy. He's talking against Moses. And evidently, he's been talking against the, the temple as well. He's been saying some things. And then it says, but they could not stand up against the wisdom that the Spirit gave Stephen as he spoke. And what's interesting about what happens after this, even though they make accusations against Stephen, what's really, really weird about this story is that Stephen doesn't even try to give a defense of himself. Isn't that interesting? Like the first thing I want to do when someone accuses me of something is go, whoa, 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 wait, 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 wait. Let me explain myself. Stephen doesn't do that. He doesn't attempt to explain himself. Stephen doesn't try to make a defense of himself. It's really strange. In fact, what he does is he goes through and he tells almost the entire story. It's interesting. Uh, I was talking with, um, had lunch with Kelsey Herndon and Charles Ricks and Don McLaughlin, who's fantastic preacher of the word of God and he preached and he, and he uh, spoke in chapel at Oakland Christian. We went out to lunch and we were talking about this and really we were talking about how they probably didn't order our Bibles correctly because really the Old Testament should really end. It should end with the Gospels and with Acts. And then the New Testament should be Paul's letters which is just commentary on the whole thing because really you understand all of Jesus' story from this story that we find in the Old Testament. And this is the longest sermon, or this is the longest uh, 
extended dialogue that we have in the book of Acts. And so Stephen doesn't try to defend himself at all, which is very odd. Instead, he just tells the story. And it goes something like this. He said, God called Abraham, and he says, leave your home and go to the place I will show you. And when he didn't have any children, and when he didn't have any land, he says, You're gonna, your descendants are going to be great. And then they're going to go to Egypt, but then God's going to deliver them out of Egypt, and they're going to go, and they're going to inherit the land. So he gives them the, the, the covenant of circumcision, and then Isaac is born. And he circumcised Isaac, and then Isaac gives birth to Jacob, and then Jacob gives birth to the 12 patriarchs, one of which is named Joseph. And all the other patriarchs get jealous of Joseph because of all of his wisdom. So what do they do? They betray him and they sell him to the Egyptians and he's taken off to Egypt. But it says God is with Joseph. And he's given wisdom and insight. And he rises above the ranks that the, the Pharaoh of Egypt recognizes this and he rises up. And then he predicts this famine that's coming to the land. In fact, it does. And so eventually, his brothers, the ones that sold him into slavery, come to Egypt, and they're saved from the famine. And they're reconciled to their brother. But then as time moves on, and Israel grows in number in Egypt, a new Pharaoh comes to power. And this Pharaoh doesn't remember who Joseph is. He doesn't know who Joseph is. So what he does is he enslaves all the people. He takes all the Israelites that are numerous now, who have actually, through Joseph, been a blessing to Egypt, and he enslaves them. And he's so treacherous against all, all the Israelites that at one point he begins killing all the firstborn, throwing them out. But then there's this one called Moses. And Moses is protected by his mother and put in a basket, floated down the river. And it just so happens that Pharaoh's daughter finds Moses, picks him up, cares for him like he is one of her own. So he's educated in Egypt. He grows in wisdom and knowledge. In fact, Stephen says he is powerful in speech and in action. One day, Moses is walking through, around, and looking around at the kingdom, and he notices an Egyptian that's mistreating one of the Israelite slaves. And he thinks, this is not right, so he goes and addresses this thing, and there's a confrontation, and ends up killing the Egyptian. Hides the body away. The next day, he sees two Israelites arguing with one another, and he goes over to them. He says, what are you guys doing? Your brothers, why are you arguing? And they turn around and they say, who are you to judge us? <laughs> are you going to kill us like you killed that Egyptian yesterday? And Moses' eyes get really, really big. He knows. They know. So Moses books it out of town, heads to Midian for 40 years. He's there. 
Until one day, he's out as a shepherd, and he comes across this bush, but this is no ordinary bush. This bush is on fire, but it's not burning up. And Moses is trembling, and it says that the angel of the Lord is speaking on behalf of God through the burning bush, and he says, I am the Lord your God, Moses. I am the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, and where you are standing right now, this is holy ground. Take off your sandals. So Moses unstraps his sandals, and he says, Moses, I'm going to send you to Egypt because I have seen I've seen the misery of my people, and I've come down, and I have heard their groaning. And so, Moses, I'm sending you back to Egypt. So Moses goes back to Egypt. And through signs and wonders, he delivers God's people through the sea. And then he walks them out into the wilderness. And he tells the people... God's going to raise up prophets for you. And he goes up to the mountain and he gets the commands. But when he brings the commands back down, God's people refuse to obey. So God gives them over to all kinds of idol worship until finally one day, way down the road, God actually sends them off into exile. But before that, he actually has Moses build them a tabernacle because they can walk with the Israelites walk with his people. But then Stephen goes on to say, but God, he doesn't live in temples made by human hands or in tabernacles. He is the God that is seated enthroned in heaven and the earth is his footstool. This, Stephen says, is our story. This is all of your stories. And this is a story like Stephen we should share with everybody. This like Stephen we should give witness to all the great things that God has done. Because God is the primary actor in this story. And Stephen is giving witness to all that God has done. This is your story. And like Stephen we should share it. But here's the ironic part about this whole thing. When Stephen tells this story in chapter 7 of Acts, we didn't even read it. I just kind of narrated through it just now. When Stephen tells this big, long story, this story is actually not for the world. This story in the book of Acts is not for people that don't know God. This story he tells is for God's people. Who he's telling it to, these are God's people. He's telling it to Israelites. And here's what's really ironic about it, because here's what this story is doing. He says, when God fulfills his promise to Abraham and gives him a son, Isaac, who has Jacob, who then is the father of the twelve. He says, Joseph is one of the twelve. And in chapter 7, verse 9, it says this, And because the patriarchs were jealous of Joseph, 
they sold him as a slave in Egypt. Then when Moses came to save the Israelites from the Egyptians, from that, remember that one story where he sees the Egyptian and he's beating this Israelite and he comes and he has a confrontation and he kills this Egyptian and saves this one slave. Verse 25 says this, Then Moses thought that his own people would realize that God was using him to rescue them, but they did not. And then once Moses leads his people out of Egypt, it says in verse 7, this same Moses who told the Israelites that God would raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. He was in the assembly of the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. And he received the living word from God and passed it on to us. But the verse 39, it says, but our ancestors refused to obey him. Instead, they rejected him and in their hearts, they turned back to Egypt. And then finally, we get in the story. Stephen gets to the end of the story. This story that everyone that he's talking to, that all of God's people, the Israelites are standing from, everyone knows this story. At the end of this story, he says to them, you are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. This is not a story that Moses is telling for the world. I need you to hear this. This is a story that Luke intends the book of Acts for the church to hear. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist Holy Spirit. And what he's saying is, is that those that don't remember their history are bound to repeat it. This is the temptation for the church in every generation. And we probably know that. I, I know this congregation. I know you'd be freely admit, yep. I'm guilty. And I'm not saying that because you are. I'm saying that because I am. And I'm saying that because I know you'd confess that. I know the kind of people you are. But I want you to hear this story in this way. That before we actually start talking about our own stories, that we hear this one. And we hear, we hear Stephen's call to remember, you're just like your ancestors. Why do you always resist the Holy Spirit? And then he goes on and he says, verse 52, was there ever a prophet your ancestors did not persecute? They even killed those who predicted the coming of the righteous one. 
And now you have betrayed and murdered him. You have received the law that was given through the angels, but you have not obeyed it. And when the members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were furious. And they gnashed their teeth. But Stephen, he was full of the Holy Spirit. And he looked up to heaven and he saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. Look, he said, I see heaven opening up and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. Now, I think what we need to hear in this story is that at the end, there are, kind, there are two options that Luke gives us. One is the response of the Sanhedrin. So it says that they, they gnashed their teeth and they were enraged about what was said. In fact, one way you could translate this is that they were, they were ripped right through the heart. In other words, how I take this is that they're saying, wait a minute. What are we going to do about this? Which is always a question that the church has. How are we going to handle this? That's their response. And the opposite response of that is Stephen. He says he was filled with God's spirit. And he had a vision of God. He looks up and he has this vision of God. You know, since we've moved into our new church building, this question has come up. And I think it's a really good question, but the, the natural question of, for our church is, how are we going to grow? We're in this new place. We have this opportunity. How are we going to grow? What's our vision for growth? And I think that's a really, really good question. I think we should ask that question. But you know the question I think that is even more important, that probably is primary, is not how do we grow, but here's the question we should really be asking, is that what kind of people are we becoming? In other words, what kind of people are we inviting others to join into? Let me take you back to what was read earlier. The beginning, the end of chapter 6, it talks about how they were doing ministry and there was people that weren't being served. So the apostles who were preaching and teaching, they said, hey, let's call everybody together. And I want you to choose seven people who are filled with the Holy Spirit to do this work. And so it says that they chose seven, and the very first one, the very first one they chose is Stephen. So the proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit, and then they chose others. And they presented these to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands over them. And then, then it says this in verse 7. So the word of the Lord spread... And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Did you notice the movement in that text? The question wasn't so much how are we going to grow, but the question really is what kind of people are we going to be? 
And they say, choose seven people who are filled with the Holy Spirit to do this work so that we could be about proclaiming the good news. And it says, the word of the God, Lord was proclaimed. And the disciples were increased dramatically. I think we should ask the question, how are we going to grow? But I think the more fundamental question is what kind of people are we being shaped into that when we invite people to come and join us, what kind of what what are we inviting them into? Second response of the Sanhedrin is this. This is chapter seven, verse 57, the first part. He says, at this, they covered their ears and they yelled at the top of their voices. It makes me think, I'm not holding this mic, I would do it, but you know how, when, yeah, exactly. You know, when somebody talks about a movie that you haven't seen and you don't want to get that spoiler, you put your hands in your ears like, la, 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 la. That's what I picture. Like, I don't want to hear this. I don't want to hear this. Cover my ears. Here's my guess, though. When we're talking about our response to the Holy Spirit, my everything in me says that none of you have that response. La, 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 la. At least overtly. None of us probably have that response. But here's the response that may be more dangerous. It's maybe that you're just going about your life. And just as a bystander, you're not doing la, 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 la. But there are so many other voices that you don't even just realize that you can't hear. Do you understand what I'm saying? It's not that we're doing this. I mean, although we might sometimes. I'm sure we've looked in our life and went, yeah, I was plugging my ears and being ridiculous. But there's probably other times in my life I'm just walking around, trying to live my life, trying to do what I think is best, I think is best. And I'm just not really paying attention. Last week in our, actually two weeks ago in our small group, we were talking about this how we hear the Holy Spirit. And Holly Osborne, she, she shared with us that for the past year, she's been praying specifically that God will give her ears and a heart to hear his spirit and hear his leading. And I was like, wow, I haven't prayed that. But she said, no, wait, here's, here's the thing. It's really hard. Like, she didn't say it in a way that was like, oh, yeah, I just hear God's spirit all the time. She's been, she said she's been praying and struggling. And what she said was, is sometimes I'm thinking, yeah, this is what the Holy Spirit's telling me, only to realize, nope, that wasn't it. I mean, we just be honest. Like, it's hard enough when you're trying to listen. Imagine when you're not paying attention at all. And so instead of a posture that has our ears covered or it's just kind of gazing around, there's this phrase that's been going around 
it talks about leaning in, leaning into God in the Spirit. And when you lean in, you kind of feel off balance and out of kilter. And sometimes you feel like you're going to fall on your face. But I think like Holly, she says, I've just got to lean in. And sometimes I don't hear it right. But it takes courage and humility just to walk slowly and keep leaning in and trusting that I can hear the Spirit. It says, finally, the end of 57. It says, they all rushed at Stephen. And they dragged him out of the city. And they began to stone him. Meanwhile, the witnesses laid their coats at the feet of a young man named Saul. The Sanhedrin and the teachers of the law, their posture and response is to rush, to drag out, to stone, and to approve. It says Saul, or Saul was sitting there approving. But then I want you to hear the opposite of what's to the Sanhedrin, what Stephen does. While they were dragging him out, while they were stoning him, while there were witnesses approving, including Saul, it says, while they were stoning him, Stephen prayed, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Then he fell on his knees and he cried out, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. One of the things that I think we're tempted to do is that if we can hear God's Spirit and we feel like we know the Spirit of God, it's really tempting to be annoyed with those that we think don't hear it. If we think we're the ones that have come to some great conclusion about what God is doing in the world, I've done this a lot. And to just be frustrated and furious and really upset that you don't get it. But a person that's full of the Spirit, like Stephen, when others are dragging them out and stoning them, Stephen says, God, I know they don't get it. I know they can't hear your Spirit. But don't hold that against them. I think Carson was right. When I asked Carson, Carson, do you have a story? And Carson went, well, yeah, I know I have a story. I know that's the answer I'm supposed to tell you. But to tell you the truth, I don't want to tell you that I have a story because I'm afraid you're going to make me tell it. And I don't know what it is. We may be afraid to tell it because down deep we might know what it is. But here's the good news is that God has a story for you, for us, that he's already written. And he is speaking that story into your life by the power of the Holy Spirit. And he wants you... And in the book of Acts, it's clear that he wants 
the church to go out and tell this story. But he says, before we get to telling your story, the first thing you got to do is listen to God's spirit. And I'm not up here telling you that's an easy thing to do. It's God's story. Stephen told God's story. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit. And by the way, God's story, when you listen to the Spirit, it doesn't always end up where you think it should. Because when Stephen tells this story and says, you're exactly like your ancestors, they prove him right. And Stephen becomes the first martyr of the church. Not, probably not what he was hoping for when he listened to God's spirit and followed. God has a story, and he's telling you through the Holy Spirit. The question today, if we're going to be the spirit-powered church, the very first task, the task that we do all the time, day and night, evening and morning, when we get up and when we lie down, when we're in that meeting or when we're at school, wherever we're in, we have to lean with the risk of falling and listen for God's Spirit. We have the courage and the humility to do that today. Come and listen as we stand and sing.